Amen. Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. I want to echo what Chris said. Happy Mother's Day to the moms in the room. And we want to celebrate with you. We want to rejoice with you. Um, We also recognize, um, like Chris said, that this is a difficult day for some people. Whether it's through the loss of a mother or or various other reasons. And, And we want you to know that the Bible says we rejoice with those that rejoice. And we mourn with those that are mourning. And those don't have to conflict. So today is both a day of celebration and it's also a day of um, grieving for several. But here's the good news. God still is moving. And we come to worship him. So we're going to continue on with our series, which is going through the Lord's Prayer. And I got good news for you because in honor of Mother's Day, today is Carb Day. And what I mean by Carb Day is it is uh, the prayer of thank you for our daily bread, praying for our daily bread. But before we get there, let's do a little review. So we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, the common prayer, and here's what it says in Matthew 6, 9 through 10. It says, therefore you should pray like this. It doesn't mean you should pray these exact words. You can, but it, it's pray like this, not pray this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in the last two weeks, we talked about this idea of praying like this, starting with a recognizing that God is holy, and, and how to honor him as holy is to get a proper posture, because God is in heaven and we are here on earth. And so as we approach him, we recognize that ultimately we need to find what he wants us to be and become. And, and that transitions into your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not about me, but it's about him. Living our life for the glory of God. And if we have that mindset, then, then the prayer transitions then into an appropriate place which talks about supplication. And the rest of this passage is this idea of supplication. And some, some of you know what that means. Some of you think you know what it means. And, and some of you um, really don't have a clue. So let me give you a definition of supplication. Vocabulary.com says this. Supplication is a prayer asking for God's help as a part of a religious service. It's a prayer asking God's help. We're good at that, aren't we? We're good at going, God, I need, God, I want. Now, the rest of the prayer is supplication, but when most of us think of the idea of what the American or the Western world prays and how we pray, it's really summarized in those six words in Matthew six eleven: Give us today our daily bread. Now, there's six words there. And now the rest of the prayer is 56 words. So if you do the math, that's 10.7%. Some of you are like, ooh, thank you. That was really good. 10.7% of the prayer is actually asking God for our provision. I want to ask you this. Do you believe in the prosperity gospel? The prosperity gospel is the idea that when we ask God, we follow God, that we're going to be well off. And, and most of us would say no. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. But I want to ask you if your prayer life says you believe in the prosperity gospel. In other words, do you approach your prayer life as God give me, God I want, God I desire? You might know intuitively that the prosperity gospel is wrong. It's not about you, but your actions show that you actually practice the prosperity gospel. God is there to service your needs. I think what we need to see today 
is that in order to believe the gospel, we have to practice what it really means when he says in Matthew 6, 11, give us today our daily bread. This is after we've had the right posture. This is after we've had the right attitude. We wanted his kingdom work. And ultimately what he, we're saying is, God, give us what we need to carry out your will. You see, it's needs, not wants. Bread equals provision, the basics of life. It's not just bread. It's not just carbs, sorry. But it's praying for food, shelter, warmth. Also love, peace. It's finding what we basically need in order to carry out the kingdom work. It's where we will find our fulfillment. It's where we can continue the kingdom. It's where we will not get distracted from the mission. I'm going to share with you many uh, verses today. But anytime we skew this idea and the people in history, the theologians throughout history have skewed it in one of two extremes... I want you to see that that is not the gospel. So I want you to, if you're really going to hone in on one other set of verses, I want you to write this down. Proverbs 38 through 9. This would be great verses for you to memorize. This is a great prayer to pray. Proverbs 38 through 9 says this. Two things I ask of you. Don't deny them before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of God. God, don't give me too much, and don't give me too little. Give me my daily bread. Now, I think it's important for us, to, before we dive too far deep, to say most of what we're going to have to struggle with in this room is the idea of trying to seek and chase after God for the benefit of ourselves. But there is another gospel out there that's the opposite of the prosperity gospel, and that's the poverty gospel. Has anybody heard of the poverty gospel? The poverty gospel says if you love Jesus, you're going to die with not a penny to your name. <laughs> and that's not really the gospel either. In fact, I don't think the Bible wants us or teaches us that we have to be poor. Daily provision, praying for God's daily provision requires us to do our part, but it also says that we will have enough. Proverbs 10.4 says this, Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring one riches. You know, banquets are mentioned throughout the Bible. Celebrations are mentioned throughout the Bible, all for the glory of God, to celebrate how good God is. Now, is it wrong for us to go on vacations? No. It's wrong for us to go on vacations for the purpose of escaping God. Have you ever heard the phrase, right, whatever happens in Vegas happens in Vegas? Some of you are like, <laughs> but we do that when we go on vacation. Whatever happens in Vancouver, Vancouver? <laughs> That's a new place. Cancun? I started to say Vancouver, but why would you go there on vacation? Anyways, whatever happens, some of you are mad at me now. You're Canadians. I love the Canadians. You're going to go wherever you're going to go, and you sit there and you go, I'm going to go on vacation, and I'm going to put God in my back pocket because I'm going to live like I want to live. That is not the gospel. We get that, right? God wants us to be able to celebrate, and while we're on vacation, celebrate how good he is. God wants us to be able to have a banquet, so reminding ourselves and celebrating how good he is. He doesn't want us to create a world where we try to escape him. I think it's 
Very important to understand. But I also want you to see there's no glory in being poor. Now, here's where I want to give you one huge, enormous caveat. Some of you, there's the idea of relative poverty. Some of you were not born in this world with the same uh, privileges. You were not born in this world with the same uh, uh, parents who had wealth. You were not born with the same abilities. You were not born. And so, you know, like, I cannot dunk a basketball, so I'm not making the NBA contract. That's the only reason. If I could dunk a ball, I'm sure I'd be in the NBA, right? No, I was not born with the ability to be a good basketball player. So there are going to be people who make more money than you. And there's going to be people, some people are going to struggle. And when that happens, we as the church need to rally around those who struggle to make a living because it's not their fault. Do you get that? That's the obligation of the church. That's why we have things like a benevolence offering because sometimes house fires happen because sometimes people do lose their job because sometimes people have health emergencies and God, I think, wants the church to surround and love the people who are struggling with poverty over that times. But the church is also full of a whole lot of people who go, I'm poor, woe is me. I must really love Jesus because I don't have any money in my pocket. And let me just share with you probably the oldest illustration in the world to explain why that's a bad attitude, okay? This reminds me of the time when I was a little kid and I heard this illustration. Some of you may have heard this because if you've been to a church, you probably heard this one. The guy who was living in a flood-prone area when a hurricane came. And he sat there and everybody on the news was going, Get out! The hurricane's coming! You're probably going to die! And he said to himself, no, I'm not going anywhere because God will provide. Well, the floods came and started to go. So he went up to the second floor and a guy came by in a boat. He goes, get in the boat. The floods are rising. You're going to die. And he said to himself, no, I'm not going to get in the boat because God's going to provide. Well, the waters kept rising and he eventually had to poke a hole through the roof and got up in the roof and a guy with a helicopter came and lowered a ladder. He said, get in the helicopter, grab the rope. You need to escape. The floods are rising. And he yelled at the guy, no, my God will provide. He drowned. And this is the part where the story becomes very theologically incorrect. He goes up to heaven, encounters someone like, let's say Peter, and goes, I don't understand why I drowned. And he goes, well, God sent you the weatherman to warn you, and he sent you the boat to pick you up, and he sent you the helicopter. Why didn't you take any of those methods? Some of you are like, what does this have to do with anything? Here's why. You're poor because you're stupid. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you're making minimum wage, and you think you want to drive a Lexus. Now, hear me, there's nothing wrong with a nice car, and there's nothing wrong with a nice vacation. Please don't throw stones at me, right? But I just think sometimes we need to call it for what it is. You're spending and maxing your credit cards trying to live to an economy that you can't afford, and the reason that you are angry at the world and you're mad at God is because you are being foolish with money. Stop it! The church is not made to bail you out for stupid decisions. Now we will, but then we're going to say, God has a better way. And that's why we have things called Financial Peace University to help you to know how to do things. That's why we have uh, people who will meet with you one-on-one -on -one and help you do a budget if no one's ever shown you how. That's why we sometimes will rally around you in the difficult times, but stop blaming God for you making very poor economic decisions.
It's not the gospel. And I said that because I love you. Despite what you may feel right now. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> the poverty gospel is not the gospel because idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands makes one rich. Have a celebration, but give God the glory. Now, for the rest of us who struggle with the idea of, I want to have more, I want to be rich, I want God to be there for my needs, the rest of these verses are geared towards us. Daily provision, praying for God's daily provision requires us leaning into God, and that is a holy thing. Don't store up, Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? That's where your treasure is. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins? <laughs> That's such bad theology. You know what happens when you die? The toys rot. It's not just about toys, right? It's about the things that we want. We want because we want, because we think we deserve, we're entitled. And so it's this hunger that feeds us that, well, that leads us to the next point. Daily provision leaves no room for wealth as an idol. You will worship what is worth it. In Revelation 3, 14 through 17, we are familiar probably with the first few verses, especially if you grew up in a church that was really brought the, the heat and the flames, okay? Here's, here's the verses. It says, Write to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Thus saith Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. <laughs> Listen, okay? I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, if you grew up in a church and you've heard that, if you've never heard that, you probably didn't grow up in a, in a really hellfire and brimstone kind of sermon, okay? Now, if you've grown up in this kind of environment, you've heard this. Here's how the message goes. It's better for you to be running away from Christ than to be in the church just playing the role. That's the sermon, Right? It's better for you to stop faking it because you're destroying the name of God. You're fooling yourself and all this other stuff. But there's more to the context, that verse that we need to understand. There's more to that passage. And so I want to encourage us that that passage is not simply encapsulated there. Listen to the next verse. For you say, verse 17, I'm rich. I become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. And naked. Do you know why many of us want wealth? For two reasons. One is security. I don't want to have to lean into God. I don't want to have to lean into anybody. I want to lean into myself. And that works well. Have you ever noticed that, you know, that really works well? As you sit there and you go, I want to have this amount of money. And when I have this amount of money, I feel secure. Only when you have that amount of money, you start worrying about losing that amount of money, Right? He said, they're going to think, if I could only get six months of my salary into the savings account, and you do it, and all of a sudden you sit there and think, I have followed Financial Peace University, Dave, rave to eat your heart out, right? And then the car breaks, the washer breaks, the fridge breaks, and the freezer. I know it's one unit, but they both sides break at once, right? 
And you're sitting there going, what just happened? And then you look over and you're complaining to your wife as your kid is running through the house, trips, cracks their head open, and you have to take them to the emergency room. And you're sitting there going, why? That wasn't that funny. <laughs> because you put your security in a bank account that could be gone tomorrow. You can never have enough money to feel secure. The other side of it is we want money for status. Now hear me, if you drive a nice car, that's fine. Gut check, it's your, it's your, you're, you're accountable to God. I don't, I don't care what kind of car. As a matter of fact, give me a ride. I'd like to ride in some of those cars. <laughs> but if you're having the nice car for a status because you want everybody to go, you've arrived, you need to repent. And not just cars. It's the way your house looks. It's those designer curtains. I don't know if they are designer curtains, but just go with me. I'm trying to keep everybody uncovered in the room. It's all of it, right? We don't need to have wealth as an idol. And the reason that we fool ourselves into thinking is because while we're longing to find rest, we're longing to find peace. And ultimately what we have to understand is praying for God's daily provision requires contentment. It's the place where we're content. And Hebrews 13, 5 says this, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. When was the last time you were content? Contentment is being at peace. Contentment means resting, right? It's I'm okay where I am. Now, uh, let me break down the contentment because I've, I've been poking at a lot of you. It's Mother's Day, and so a lot of you are going to have a family gathering today. Let me, let me explain how this works, okay? And, and with fear and trepidation, I'm going to go here, okay? As some of you ladies in the room have been going, oh, you've been preaching right at my husband. Bring it. He has needed to hear this. He stares at that 401k like it ain't nobody's business. But you're going to have a celebration today, and it's all about Mom's Day. Whether it's your celebration or your mom's, you're going to sit there and you're going to go, my kids better act right today. And they better do this and this and this. And you have such high expectations, and ultimately what you're looking for is the validation of others to find your contentment. And maybe, just maybe, you need to ease up on the expectations of everybody else around you because the reason you're not content is not because Johnny did not, at four years old, make you an appropriate Mother's Day card. Or it's not because Susie broke up with her boyfriend yesterday just to ruin your Mother's Day. And it's not because your mom is laying a guilt trip on you because, you know, you think she now thinks that you think you're a better mother than her. Right? Maybe, just maybe, you need to enjoy the family for who they are and be content. When we pray for God's daily provision, we're praying for contentment, not just in our finances, but we're praying for contentment in every aspect of our life. We all need love. We all need acceptance. And we're hoping that we can rest there. When was the last time you were content? If you aren't, and you don't know, maybe it's because your priorities are wrong. Maybe it's because my priorities are wrong, because I have to look in the mirror too, right? 
So daily provision reminds us that we are here to serve God. That's the ultimate priority. Luke 16, 9 says, No servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or the things that you're chasing after in this world. You will either serve God or the other things. Maybe, just maybe, we need to trust and rest in God. How do we do that? We remind ourselves daily, praying for daily provision over and over, reminds us that our hope is in God, if we do it right. Our hope is in God, not in getting what we want. Our hope is in God. First Timothy 6, 17 through 19. These are the last verses I'm I'm going to share with you this morning. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Did you get that? It means you're enjoying it. You can have all the stuff, but do you enjoy it or do you worry about losing it? You can have the family that you prayed for. Do you enjoy it or do you worry about them falling apart? Do you enjoy life? Because God wants you to enjoy life, but the way you enjoy your life is to stay in the will of God. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of what is truly life. You don't look very excited. I'm pretty excited about all that. What is life to you? It's trusting in God. Now, here's, here's where I want to back it up a little. And I want to, I want to dive a little deep and, 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 and kind of go a little personal with you. So bear, be ready, okay? The church has done a poor job of explaining what the purpose of heaven is. Uh, this is a, a great idea, right? We want you to receive, Johnny, at age seven, Jesus, so you can spend an eternity in heaven. Okay, why do you want me to do that? Because the opposite is hell. And there's gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? It's, you're going to burn. Your skin is going to have boils, and it's going to be... Now, I think that's true, and we need to understand the ramifications of that. But, but heaven is presented as an alternative to hell. That's not the gospel. The other side, Johnny, you want to go to heaven? Susie, you want to go to heaven? Heaven is going to be a place where there are streets of gold, and you're going to have a mansion and a crown. And it's going to be a big, big house where we can play football. And a big, you know, big, big buffet, and you're going to be able to eat all you want, not gain any weight. Those hips, don't worry about them. I mean, you're good, you know? That's not heaven. See, what we don't understand about heaven is that it's about our relationship with God, our Father. Now, let me explain to you why we trust, why we, we don't really know how to pray and trust. And, and so we, we cling to our wealth. We cling to, I was listening to a sermon this last week, and I, I love how he articulated it. He said, the reason that we don't know how to really do the adequate element of praying for God's provision, and, and we want to take the reins back and do things on our own and, and find our own value and find our own worth, is because we have earthly fathers and mothers. Or we didn't know our fathers and mothers. Or they were not the greatest. Or even if they were the greatest, they still had faults. And so here's how we grew up, right? 
At age four, we were sitting there going, okay, I, I, I want dad, dad, look at me. He, this is the illustration he used. I, look at me, I'm about to jump off into this deep end. Well, look at me, dad, I'm about to dive. And, and you jump off in the deep end and he goes, good, now do it again. Next time, go a little more. Right? Or we, we grew up and we say, hey, 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 dad, did you, did you see how beautiful I looked in this dress? Yeah, you're okay. Or we, or we say, it's Mother's Day. You will behave. In other words, to have validation in this family is dependent upon your behavior. Now hear me, we need to discipline. And, and well-intentioned parents, even good parents, need to discipline and need to teach and need to define. But we've taught our children because we have been taught that our validation comes from performance. Do you know what the gift of the gospel is? Freeing you of performance-based acceptance. You know what heaven is? Spending an eternity in the presence of the one true, holy, good, just, right Father. And the reason we, we long and we treat God as like, gimme, 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 the reason is because we look for validation everywhere else from climbing a ladder, from a status, from a, a broken relationship, from, from a performance. We want someone to look at us and go, I love you. And all the while our Father is in heaven saying, I love you. Trust me. And when we find our worth and we find our value, some of you may have never grown up in an environment where you had a parent look you in the eyes and say, child, you are loved. And I want to know, you to know, my heart breaks with you, but hear it now. The God that is in the heavens, that created the universe, that sent the Son to die for you, looks you in the eyes and says, son or daughter, you don't have to perform for me. I love you just the way you are. And because I love you, you can rest and be content in following me. And I will never fail you and forsake you. I, you can trust in my provision. I'm not going to give you more than you need because I want you to know I care for you. But I'm also going to make you sometimes lean into me. So you want contentment? You want to know how to pray for daily provision? Rest in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life. And He wept and He mourned when His Son died. But He did so that you might have a relationship with Him because we were broken because of our sins. We'd love to talk to you more about that. If you go back to the next step space and say, can you tell me more about being a Christian? We want to talk you through that. But to the Christian in the room, the one who claims to already be a follower, here's what I would challenge you. Rest in your relationship with God, which is going to be a struggle because the world has told you you have to fight for your status. You have to fight for your value. You have to fight for your worth. So I am going to give you a difficult probably one of the most difficult Monday morning applications I've ever asked you to do. Here's what it says. I want you to give up something of value to remind you that our treasure is not on this earth. 
I'll explain why in a minute, because some of you are already sitting there going, uh-oh, sweating bullets, what's the easiest thing I can give? I haven't worn that necklace in 10 years, done. <laughs> that pair of shoes, going to Goodwill, they don't fit me anymore anyways, and they're uncomfortable. Golf clubs, I haven't played in five years, done. Right? Do I just have to put a 20, extra 20 in the offering plate? No. I want you to give up something today that stings. Why? Because our treasure is not in stuff. For some of you, that may be time. I told the last service, maybe you need to commit a Saturday morning every month for a year to work at the local homeless shelter. And please don't everybody do that because the local homeless shelter does not need to be inundated with it, right? I'm giving you examples. Some of you may need to give up a boat. I don't know. May need to give up a vacation. Maybe you need to give up a family heirloom. But you need to do something that stings. And here's why. When you give that up, you're saying, my hope is not in the things I own, including my time, my resources. My hope is in Jesus. And when you miss that thing, and if it stings, you're going to miss it. I want you to be reminded to put your hope not in that thing, but in Jesus. So I know many people in this room are going to go, that's a great sermon and not apply. But you can. So today, I want to ask you, do you fully want to embrace the gospel? You got to give up yourself. You got to give yourself to the one who lovingly created you and made you. And to let him show you what life is really about. This is where you find contentment because salvation begins here and now. The relationship with your perfect father can begin here and now. You can find your value. You can find your worth here and now. And it's only going to get better in time. But cling to Jesus. Give us today our daily bread. Not more so I don't need you. Not less so I defame your name. But give me enough so that I can carry your will and rest in you. So God, teach us what that looks like. Challenge us. God, I know that there are people in this room who are wrestling with this idea about whether or not to even follow, whether or not they're going to do this. God, stir their heart and make them uncomfortable. God, we, we long as a church, as a congregation to not make it about us and forgive us when we do. Make us uncomfortable so that we might depend on you more. To lean into you so we can see how good you are. For you are our provider, our healer, our source of strength, our hope, our tomorrow. Our faith rests in you because you are our peace. You are our joy, our hope, our salvation. You are everything. So God, you are bigger than we ever thought or imagined. Draw us into you to fill your love, your warmth. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.